0: of Abraham, God of Isaac, and God of Jacob, our God, the living God. Lord, be manifested through your word and empowered by your word right now, speaking and touching our hearts and our minds, lifting us right off this earth into heavenly places with you in Yeshua's holy name. Amen. Solomon's Temple, kind of patterned after the uh, temple that uh, God designed for Moses to build. Uh, he had a laver, also a washing area, that was referred to as the sea uh, because it was so large. And uh, as we read in 1 Kings uh, chapter 7, verse 23, Solomon made the sea of cast bronze, 15 feet from one brim to the other. Now the, the parentheses, the, the English feet That I put in, but (laughs) to spare you on the qubits and all like that. But uh, 15 feet from one brim to the other, so 15 feet diameter straight across. It's pretty big, about half the diameter of of the sanctuary here. Uh, It was completely round, its height was seven and a half feet and 45 feet in circumference. Below its brim or ornamental buds encircling it all around two rows, ten to a foot and a half all the way around the sea. It stood on twelve oxen facing in each one of the directions, north, south, east, and west, and the sea was set on top of them, similar to how that artist uh, rendition there. It was a hand-breast thick, so the width of the of the the bronze was was uh, the width of a hand, and its brim was shaped like the brim of a cup, like a lily blossom, and it contained sixteen thousand gallons of water nice sized pool, quite a bit of water. He also made ten carts of bronze on each cart was a laver, each contained three hundred gallons. Six feet was its length of each cart, six feet its width, and four and a half feet its height. So kind of a square, four and a half feet or so high, uh, with 300 gallons of water, six by six, and there were ten of them. Now in the one that God had Moses built, there was only one labor, and it wasn't on wheels, it was a, just a permanent stationary one, and um, where here Solomon built eleven, the sea plus Ten of these movable lavers. Every cart had four bronze wheels. On its panels he engraved cherubim, lion, and palm trees. Wherever there was a clear space on each with its wreaths all around it. Now in Solomon's description in, in, in the writings in 1 Kings, it's also mentioned in, in Chronicles, a whole description. It gives a lot of description to the details. Actually, all of, for all of Solomon's temple, a lot of details, not a whole lot on the dynamics or the use. Um, like, how did they get into this seven and a f- half foot sea of uh, of, the, of the of the the big labor? You know, it doesn't say anything about steps. It doesn't say anything about ladders. Uh, it just gives us the beauty of it. Twelve oxen facing in this direction, that direction, and and, uh, and their heads on the outside and their and, and their ears towards the inside and. Uh, and then on the lavers, cherubim and lion and palm trees. A lot of, 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 the, um, of the beauty of it, but not ch- much on the uh, formality. And part of that is, as we read the Torah and we read uh, the book of Leviticus and other places where it tells us uh, of the description of the sanctuary and how it was to be used, that was kind of an instruction book for the, for the Levites because uh, they were constantly taking it down and, and putting it back together and moving it around so they need to know uh, it mentions in, in, the, in the Torah portion how many sockets and where the sockets were and how many poles and who would carry the poles and who would carry this and that and where it would be placed and, and how it would be used Solomon doesn't give us any of those details uh, it just says it was very beautiful <laughs> was made of bronze and it was this big and very large and lots of water and uh, 16,000 gallons of water and I mean, total like 20,000 gallons almost of water between all 11 of the, uh, of the, of the washing lavers that Solomon built. And so, just a lot on the grandith- grandness and the beauty of it and uh, the wealth of it. And that's what the writers, the 1st Kings and, and Chronicles, focused on in writing about Solomon's. And, uh, and so, one of these details is about the cherubim and the lions and the, and the palm trees that were decorated on it. Now, I remember visiting someone and they did not have any pictures of anything in their house. And they told me that they believed that the second commandment where it said, don't make any graven image, they were not even able to have nothing in their house. Well, this, among other places in the Bible, demonstrate that's not what the commandment says. And that's one of the problems if we get to just reading portions of Scripture out of context. That's not what the second commandment says because here obviously uh, Solomon built it with with all these engraved images and even the one that Moses that God specifically directed exactly how it was to build said to have cherubim have angels on the curtains and all over the place and and God directed Moses to build a, a staff with a snake on it, a bronze snake on it. The commandment says do not make any graven image of anything in heaven or on earth or anything below the earth or in the sea and do not bow down and worship it. And that's what the commandment is about, not worshiping anything, an image or a picture or anything other than God himself. And so it's not just saying don't make pictures (laughs) and don't uh, grave images, just don't worship those images. Uh, And so here's again a clear example of of that. And... uh, and so he put five carts on the right side of the house and five carts on the left side of the house. And he set the sea on the right side of the house toward the southeast. And, and that's a pretty good uh, depiction there. Uh, you can see the, the altar that we've been talking about the last few weeks. And you can see the, the uh, temple structure. And then the large sea. Um, and actually a, a little cart one with the wheels in front of it. And, then the, and the, the oxen kind of give you an idea. Of, uh, of, of what at least one artist's rendition of what it looked like. We've seen several artist's renditions through the, through the various pictures. In Exodus, now what do these things have to do? We have to go back again to Exodus and back to the Torah to see what was the purpose, because again, in Kings and Chronicles, it doesn't tell us. But we know already what the purpose was, because Moses already told us. You shall bring Aaron and his sons to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, And wash them with water. You shall put the holy garments on Aaron and anoint him and consecrate him that he may minister to me as a Kohen. And so, before they could minister, they would have to wash and bathe themselves in the laver that was there in the courtyard, in the open area of the sanctuary. And so, the same with Solomon's. So he made it big enough that they could swim inside, that they could actually get inside and really fully bathe inside it. And then the other ones, the ones on the carts, would be used for cleansing the animals and washing the animals before they sacrificed them, as we read when we discussed the various burnt offerings, different offerings. Some of them had to be washed. It said wash out their insides and things and then offer them. And so washing of the Levites, washing before we minister before the Lord. Numbers, it tells us, and the Levites purified themselves and washed their clothes. And then Aaron presented them like a wave offering before the Lord. And that's interesting. We talked about the wave offering a few weeks ago. Uh, waving them before the Lord, like a wave offering. So presenting them before the Lord as we come and minister before the Lord. We're not ministering Whether whatever we're doing, whether we're writing the birthday cards or Again, the sound room, or cleaning, or or preaching, or singing, or blowing the shofars, or whatever we're doing, and however we're ministering in all the various aspects of God's work—sharing literature, inviting people to come, doing their various things—we're not doing it as unto men. We're doing it unto God. We're presenting ourselves before the Lord as a wave of offering, as an offering to Him, presented before Him, presented before God. All of our actions. All of our deeds, whether good or evil, are presented before the Lord and come before his presence and come before his face, come before the record books, and will appear in the judgment for good or for evil uh, in our behalf. And so he presented them, he washes them, he purifies them, and then presents them before the Lord. And Aaron made atonement for them to cleanse them. So he does the physical washing with the water, washing them and washing their clothes and purifies them outwardly. But then he also gives an offering to make atonement for them, also to cleanse them. So the offering cleanses the inside, and the washing and the labor and all like that is the symbolism of the outward washing, showing what they're desiring God to do on the inward parts. And so a lot of what we do. Uh, like when we march the Torah around and, and we each receive, uh, you know, a, a kiss from it. It's receiving God's blessing. It should never become just rote. It should never just become, that could even be a, you could even worship that. You know, if we're bowing down to that, that could, we can end up worshiping even God's Bible above God. If we're not asking God to come and fill us. Write your word in my heart. Make it a part of me. Come inside me. Live inside me. And, and, and kind of saying a prayer. Uh, you know, same again with the, the Talits. It's a representation of, of being covered in God, being covered in his righteousness, and we should have that in our mind as we, as we put it on, that God, you know, kind of even say a prayer, Lord, cover me in your righteousness. Clothe me and purify me, and, and may you, only you be seen and not me be seen. And so the same here. The, the washing, the outward washing, was symbolic. Uh, it was, you know, just a, it's kind of a ceremony, just this washing. They would wash before they'd minister, but it was symbolic of their desire to be cleansed inside, their hearts, their minds, their characters, their motives, to be washed and made clean, and for atonement, at one mint be made between them and God. And so the same with us today. It should all have that that meaning and that application for us. In Jerusalem, this is a a picture of uh, right outside the western wall, To your right side, that wall there, is the Western Wall. Uh, It's not the portion where people pray at. um, Where they pray at, the part that they pray at, that that, that you've visited or that you've seen in pictures, is a very, very small portion, I don't know, maybe one-fifth of the entire length of the Western Wall. Uh, And so this is another portion of it. uh, The place where we pray at is just actually beyond that area there. That's a ramp actually going to the Temple Mount and on the other side of that is the part where we pray at. But this is another portion, and this portion comes all the way down to this pavement, which is 2,000 years old. That's the original pavement of, uh, of the temple back 2,000 years ago where Yeshua was, and Yeshua most certainly, and the disciples and others walked right on this pavement here. It's all crushed because those stones in the, in the in back area are the temple itself that was thrown down and thrown from the great height up above and landed there and crushed that pavement, collapsing that pavement. And ground in Israel hard rock. And then you got these very thick, you can see how thick they are, thick uh, pavement, and it crushed those. Knocked those down, broke those, and crushed them into the ground. Now to the left, and that's where I'm leading you over to the left, to the left, you see kind of stalls there. That's the shops. That's where the money changers uh, were. And that's where they sold things for the temple, whether wares or, or whether uh, animals for your sacrifices uh, or changed your foreign money over to to shekels. That was done there. Now all of that is just to set the stage of the next picture I'm going to show you, just to give you an orientation of how close to the temple this next picture is. So that we're right there now, right behind to the left of where those stalls are, where the money changers are, and other shopkeepers, just to the, behind them is a whole bunch of ritual baths, or mikvahs, mikvahs. and as it says there, uh, a rock-cut Jewish ritual bath, a mikvah, from the Second Temple period, uh, about the first century, is, uh, is being depicted right there. And so the steps going down, 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 down into the mikvah and collected water there, for, again, the cleansing. There's another site not very far from here, just really close, I mean, maybe a, a golf ball hit away from here, uh, is an archeological area where they have found Caiaphas, what they believe is Caiaphas' dwelling, and, and of the other uh, Levites, priests, Kohenim, uh, because they found so many mikvahs there, these houses, and large-sized houses, with mikvahs everywhere for the cleansing, the continual cleansing, the continual washing. And so right outside the temple are a whole bunch of these all surrounding on the southern wall and by the western wall, a whole bunch of these, again, like Solomon built for the washing, for the the Levites to be able to wash in. And so there were all these, and then also for the people, as they would come into the temple, they'd be able to wash and go through. And so the washing would take place by walking down on the right-hand side. You see there's a divider in the middle. And so they'd walk down on the right-hand side get down into the water, immerse, and then come back up on the other side. And so you can actually have, you know, a row of people uh, going one after another. Here's a picture. uh, You can't hardly see it there, but uh, I'm inside uh, immersing Celeste, the lady who came with us last year, in air. There was no water (laughs) in the bottom, but uh, just kind of a a symbolism there. So it kind of gives you an idea how deep it is that uh, even by the time you get to like the third or fourth step there, uh, we would be easily be able to be submerged uh, in, in the water. And then the camera is another maybe ten steps up from there. Yeshua also partook of the same type of symbolism of cleansing. Not that he needed to have atonement made for him, uh, not that he needed to be cleansed, but to fulfill all righteousness, to fulfill all the patterns of all the things that God had given, or actually Yeshua had given to Moses and written out for the cleansing, that purifying, that washing. So he went through the same thing. He went down to the Jordan River, not far from uh, Jerusalem. Um, went down to uh, the Jordan River, down where Yochanan, John, was immersing people, and he also was immersed. Uh, in the river, in Jordan. Again, fulfilling that outward symbolic cleansing, demonstrating what God is doing on the inside, that purifying that God is doing on the inside. This is a modern mikvah. I'll show you a couple pictures of a few different modern mikvahs. We don't have one in our building here, but fortunately we live in in Florida and uh, surrounded by water here in Saint Petersburg, and so we've got plenty. I should have shown a picture of last year's immersion, uh, or natural one. I should have thought to put that in. Uh, now, from Ezekiel, again, pulling it together, I guess I, I should say before that, when we get into, uh, and by God's grace, will, uh, Chris will be immersed in that same body of water where uh, Sharon was just a year ago, uh, partaking in the same type of cleansing an immersion, the symbolism. And so Ezekiel now tells us what that symbolism represents. He says, I, speaking for God, God's saying to him, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will take the heart of stone out of you and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will do them. I was talking with a person once about uh, being immersed and, uh, and he said he didn't want to be. He didn't feel he was ready yet because he was afraid he couldn't live up to then God's ideal in walking with the Lord. Let's look at this text again. Who is doing all the work? God, I will cleanse you. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from your filthiness and from your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. God does it. God does the cleansing. God puts the new heart in us. God changes us. I will take the heart of stone out of you and give you a heart of flesh. God changes our desires, he changes our motives, he changes our heart, he changes our thoughts, he changes what we like, what we don't like, he transforms us. It's not something that we have to do. It's something we have to allow God to do, it's something we have to give God permission to do, it's something we can pray and ask God to do inside us, Lord, take out this habit, take out this desire, take out this... uh, this pattern in my life, and transform me and put your word into me and live out your word in me so that I walk on your path. I will put my spirit within you. And then what does God's spirit within us do? What does the Ruach do? I will cause you. And there again, it's God doing, it's God's spirit doing. God causes us. Again, it's not even us that's having to do it. God causes us to do it. Right? He said someone caused you to do it. Someone made you do something. God makes us do it. We allow him. We allow him to do all these other things. We allow him to cleanse us just by opening up and just saying, God, I give you permission to. I choose to let go of this. I choose not to want that anymore. I can see from your word this is right, this is wrong, and now you're going to have to Change me. So you get, we have to give the permission. That's, that's, what, that's the key that unlocks it. That's where all the power is. He gives us free choice. And then he does the rest. I will, call, I will put my spirit in you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and thus you will do them. With God inside us, God doing the cleansing, God doing the purifying, Again, the outward cleansing, the immersion, the outward cleansing is symbolic of God doing the inward cleansing. He cleanses us. He makes us new. He makes us whole. He puts a new spirit in us, a new mind in us, and then he causes us, and thus we will do his laws. We will do his statutes. We will do his judgments. We will do his biddings. But too often, all we do is look at the last few words. We look at the commandment, commandment says to do this, and then we say, oh, and i got to do that. And then we try in our own strength to try and do it. But the problem is is our own strength is carnal. We've got a carnal nature. And the carnal nature does not love the things of God. Actually, the carnal nature is enmity, is against the things of God, is totally against the things of God. And so if we try and do something we really don't want to do, what state of mind will we be in? miserable comes to mind. I mean, maybe you can think of a bunch of other words, right? But we'll be unhappy if you're trying to do something you really don't want to do. You have to do it. You feel you have to do it. You have this pressure to do it. And then you're trying to do it and you don't have the power to do it. And so you fail. And then you feel even worse, right? You feel miserable. You feel guilty. And and that really describes the life of a lot of professed believers. They come to the point of thinking, well, heaven sounds nice, and God sounds nice, and I'd really like to do that kind of thing, and I'd really like to have that. I'd really like to have heaven. I'd really like to have God protecting me. I'd really like to have God on my side. I'd really kind of like the idea of being religious, of, of, of being with God. But then they just look at the rules, the do's and don'ts, and go about trying as much as we can, when convenient, to do as much as we can. And it's a horrible, horrible, horrible state to be in. It's a miserable state, probably the worst. That's what uh, Yeshua talks about, uh, either be hot or cold. The lukewarm state in the middle is just misery. and It just spits it out. That's why people living for the world sometimes are happier in that state. I heard a, a person speaking once, and he was talking about a, uh, he was a minister to ministers, and uh, and he was uh, counseling with a minister once, and the minister said that uh, every day I'd come home, and I'd see my neighbor out in the backyard behind the house behind me, and he would be laying there in his hammock uh, just drinking a beer, and just laying there in his hammock. And every day I'd go out, and I'd try and tell the world you know, that, that we have a better way, and try and live a life so that that uh, people would have and desire what I had. And he said, you know, after a while, seeing that guy in the hammock drinking a beer, he said, I was thinking, I desire what he has. <laughs> <laughs> because he didn't have a full life. This minister didn't have a full life. Laying in a hammock drinking a beer is not the end all. Life with the Lord is so much more exciting when we have a vibrant life with him. When he sprinkles us with his clean water, he cleanses the filthiness and the idols out of us, and he gives us a new heart new mind and new ways and new thoughts and new desires. We're just filled with excitement and joy. I mean, it's more exciting to be a believer in the Lord and living for the Lord and walking with the Lord than anything else. The world tries to make things exciting. You know, they got these TV programs, whatever, survival or all these things. I don't know where they, they go out into the bush and they trying to live on their own and defeat other people. I never saw any of the things. i seen a couple commercials and things, right? But is that kind of description, right? Where they go and they, and they fight and compete against each other to win some kind of whatever little. Maybe they give them a few dollars. I don't know what they give them at the end, you know. But a million, still, that doesn't last long for most of those guys. You know, I'm sure they blow it real fast. And, and then the losers, they don't get anything, I guess, or maybe they get something. But, you know, but that looks exciting, right? You want excitement like that? Give your heart fully to the Lord and let him take you to the missionary somewhere, you know, like maybe St. Petersburg, and then go out and fight in the jungle of the city, you know, and and fighting a real beast, the devil and the the dragon, and fight against the the false things of this world, you'll have excitement unending, believe me. You'll, You'll be battling left and right. There's excitement in living for the Lord, and a joy, more joy than laying in a hammock and dulling the brain, the brain becomes alive and new and, and, and open and, and fresh and able to absorb more and to understand the things of the universe. Understand the concepts of God starts opening up and God knows a lot. He becomes our teacher. We start knowing a lot. He starts revealing a lot. Doesn't make us better than anyone else, but it's exciting. The vistas that he gives us and the experiences that he gives us. You know, and then they got other shows or other things, you know, with trying to meet people and, and all this stuff and and, and the glamour, and the lives of the rich and the famous, and, you know, I mean, boring stuff. I mean, yeah, I read about this, you know, the per- person having an affair, and all this other kind of stuff. Who cares? But the lives with the Lord, having a vibrant married life or a happy life, and, and friends galore, you know, fellow believers, growing family continually, and then sharing and seeing other people. Uh, and then other shows, you know, ER, you know, whatever, these emergency oh, this doctor is helping and healing this person after Christ. We're healing people's hearts and people's minds so that they're overcoming depression and overcoming, uh, again, habits and, and, and things from the past and, and, and struggles and, and uh, insecurities and doubts and coming alive and new creatures in the Lord. Knowing who their Father is, their Heavenly Father is, knowing where they're going, knowing where they've come from, and knowing their purpose in their life. A whole lot more than just laying in a habit burning out your brain cells. Or sitting in front of a tube and just watching other people waste away their lives. It becomes all things new, and God empowers us. I mean, how much power is it? It says he puts his spirit into us. I will cause my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my situation. How powerful is that? I mean, think about what a jolt would be. You put a finger in a, in a 220 outlet, you know? God is a whole lot more powerful than a 220 outlet. You know, he'll put shock, he'll put energy, he'll put power into your life to have victory in our lives. Nothing more exciting than having victory in our lives. Instead of just do it, you know, Nike or whatever, We're able to say not do it. We're able to do what God tells us to do. We're able to just really do what God calls us to do. And we have the power and the strength to really say no. That's real strength. That's real courage. Say no to the things that we don't really want or that we realize are not good for us. God empowering us. God cleansing us. God transforming us. And again, too many believers, they just stop at the the cleansing. They went through the mikveh, they went through the immersion, they went through, and then that's it. They think that's it. It's, not, it's more than just an outward. It's more than just having the record f- forgiven. It's then all these other I wills that God does. It's like a marriage with the Lord. Him saying, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. It's a pretty good deal. And he's not asking much of us, other than just permission to do it each and every day, over and over again, With each and every temptation, with each and every thought, with each and every aspect of our lives. He will cause us. And then we will do it. Because he is causing us to do it. Very powerful. All right, Paul says, the love of the Messiah constraineth me. Constrain. Right? Restrain means hold back. Constrain means push forward love of the Messiah pushes me forward. I mean, did he have an exciting life? I think so. Traveled around, shipwrecked here, bit by snakes, thrown into, you know, throws the snake into the fire. He lived an exciting life. He's our people. form, Things come alive. And we still learn, learn about him and read about him today. God has an exciting life for each and every one of us as we go through the full process. Therefore, having these promises, what promises? Well, among others, all these. I will sprinkle you. I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart. I will take out your heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you. I will cause you, among others. (laughs) All the promises of the word of God. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. I mean, how exciting would it be To see the Lord come with our own eyes. How exciting would that be? How exciting would it be to, again, live in any time in history, Noah's day, see the flood come, be protected inside, see the animals come in in order, twos and sevens, Cleans animals by sevens, the unclean by twos, see that happen, see that miracle, and see the ark kept afloat for a year. How much more to be seen through the final times of trouble. The last storm that will come upon this earth. Instead of just seeing the Lord destroy the earth with water, watch him destroy the earth with fire. See the Lord come in his glory. How exciting would it be to be like Enoch? To walk with God so close that he just walks you right up into heaven. He just takes your hand and just walks you right into heaven. How exciting will that be to be at the very end, the last generation, to see the Lord come in his glory, to lay low this earth, destroy this earth, and to just grab us and to walk us up into heaven. How glorious would that be? How exciting it would have been to be there when Yeshua raised Lazarus from the dead or, or, the, or the, the widow's son You know, or many other people that were raised from the dead. How exciting would it have been to be there and see that? How much more exciting to be there and see the Lord come on the cloud, see him come in all his glory, see him come with all his angels and the glory of his Father, and to see not just a couple dead people, but the dead down through the ages coming up out of the grave, seeing Adam and Eve coming up out of the grave, seeing David come up out of the grave, seeing our deceased loved ones coming up out of the grave, by the hundreds and the hundreds of thousands and the thousands of thousands coming up out of the grave. How exciting would that be? Like popcorn just popping up out of the earth. I mean, the place to be, you want to know the place to be at the the coming of the Lord is at a cemetery. That's where you want to (laughs) be. in Brooklyn, I, we used to, or in the Bronx, we used to go over this, over this uh, highway that, that was, uh, had this large bridge on it. that went over this cemetery, overlooking this huge, huge cemetery. And a lot of students used to come, high school students and college students, and take them into the city, and we'd minister in the city. And, uh, and so we often go that way. And I, as we got up to that point, I'd tell them, look out your side window. That's where I want to be <laughs> when the Lord comes. And just see them come out of the, at the cemetery how much more exciting would that be? Can you beat that? And to be part of having God place crowns on our heads with stars on them, representing the people that we touch, the people that we minister to. How much more exciting having those people come up to us and like that song, thank you, thanking you, thanking me, thanking us for ministering to them, and opening up the door and the privilege of coming into heaven. And then to live for eternity. Look like at that beautiful hymn, when we've been there 10,000 years. Bright shining as the sun, 10,000 years. Could you imagine living 10,000 years? old oh, would my eyes look like then? What will my eyesight be after 10,000 years? I mean, it was already after this. Ma- but then our eyesight will be perfect. It won't degenerate. It won't get worse. Bones won't hurt worse after 10,000 years. 10,000 years, living that long. I can't imagine living 100. I don't want to live 100. 10,000 years. And as the song says, after 10,000 years, we've no less, no less years, no less days than when we first began. 10,000 will only be the beginning. (laughs) Only be the beginning of all eternity. What galaxies will be able to visit yeah, you can get the brochures about going on vacation here and there, and there's nothing. Yeah, you can go see an oil slick here if you want. <laughs> you see lots of things to see on this earth, you know. We'll be able to travel, be able to zoom all around the galaxies, not rely on the Hubble telescope. We'll be able to go there, inside all the colors, visit all the other galaxies. We don't have to worry about aliens coming here. We can be aliens and go other places, other planets, and visit other things that God must have created out there. How much more exciting do you get from that? Allow them to cleanse our hearts, cleanse our minds from all unrighteousness, perfecting holiness in the fear of God so that we can just walk like Enoch right into heaven with him. It starts now, though. the process starts now. It starts with a, a allowing him, opening the door each and every day. Might have had a vibrant in life with the Lord when we were first immersed, but maybe it's become old. We need to allow Him to recharge us. Or maybe someone here has never been immersed, never made that commitment with the Lord to experience that symbolic cleansing. And and to experience the Lord cleansing, the Lord changing the heart and transforming the heart. If you haven't been immersed, if you haven't made that dedication, if you haven't made that commitment to him and, and His the family of God, then I invite you to see me, email me, write me on a blue card, or somehow let me know and let's get together and talk about that. Maybe you're immersed at some point. Maybe you were so young it didn't have any meaning, but your life has been so transformed since that time. You want to publicly say, I, "I want, I want more serious. I want it to be known now with the choices I'm making now. Or maybe you were immersed at one point, but then totally turned your back on the Lord and backslid away. I don't mean, you know, just made a mistake. I don't mean just sinned here or there. Uh, I mean, we'd all be immersed every week if that was the case. But, But I mean, totally turned your back on God, rebelled against God, totally went away from him for a time period, maybe an extended time period. And you need to be renewed and re-cleansed, symbolically and physically, outwardly and inwardly. I invite you to see me and speak with me. You can email me or call me or blue card or on the offering envelope, however you want to do it. Make that commitment with the Lord. Don't worry about whether you'll be able to follow through on the commitment. It is God who worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. He only not only does it, but even if we don't really even want to, he will will us to, if we'll allow him to. <laughs> Lord, I really, I don't want to, but if you want me to, I would will be willing to. Give me the will to. He says, he will both will and do it in us. And as God, the work that God began, he will bring to completion. It's so much easier that way when we allow him to do the work but allow him to do the purifying and the cleansing and the perfecting and the transforming. So as we pray and we think on these things, whatever area applies to you, whether you need to recommit your life to the Lord, just right now, silently as we pray, maybe you need to be recharged, maybe your life has become routine or dull in the Lord and you want that excitement and that freshness again, you can ask the Lord. Maybe there's some area that you haven't conquered and you want the Lord to conquer it in you, Maybe there's some area inside that's defiled and unclean, and, and you want him to cleanse it up and clean it up. Maybe there's some guilt there. Maybe there's some area that, that uh, from the past or, or from the present or, or some recent time that you need cleansed and washed. Right now, just give it over to the Lord and let him cleanse you. Let his spirit come and just wash us clean. Pour out that latter rain power upon us. Or maybe you've never been immersed and you want him to, to be immersed. Just symbolically start the process now by telling the Lord that, Lord, give me the will and bring it forth in my life. Or maybe you need to be reimmersed again, or any of these areas we've been talking about. You need that strength of the Lord, the power of the Lord, to go forth and to be his ambassadors. So we pray together, whatever lo- applies to you, personally and, and uh, quietly, right where you are, enter into prayer with the Lord. our Lord and our God, ruler and creator and master of the universe, God on high. I'm thankful, Lord, that you not only look down, but you've come down. And you've been with us tonight and in our lives and in the body of Yeshua. And you've promised never to leave us nor forsake us. And I'm thankful, Lord, that you are willing to do all these wonderful promises in us and for us and to us. Lord, work your might, work your power, and so transform us, Lord. Whatever area needs to be cleansed in our lives and in our hearts, work your cleansing right now. Immerse us symbolically and then move us forward to do it publicly if we need to, if we haven't or if we've backslid. And Lord, empower us, charge us. Come inside us, give us your heart. Come inside us and give us your mind. Come inside us by your Spirit, Ruach HaKodesh. Holy Spirit, come inside us and cause us to do your statutes. Cause us to do your commandments. Cause us to do your judgments. Cause us to manifest your love. Cause us to be kind and noble and just and right, holy and pure, perfect in your sight. Empower us, Lord, to go forth and to share your love with others. In Yeshua's holy name.